0: All right. Well, it's a privilege to be with you in worship today, and um, one of the great—yeah, <laughs> laugh it up, guys. Yeah, one of the great blessings in my life um, at this point is being able to be. near my spiritual mentors, being able to pastor here close to uh, my father. And, and one of the coolest things that, that's happened over the past couple years as I've been here was last year when I had the privilege to share this platform with my mother on Mother's Day. And so this year, we're talking about passing the baton, and I thought it would be just a great opportunity um, for me to share this platform again and to speak God's word with my father, Um, your pastor. Welcome him, please. (laughs) Even though I've been in this role for a couple years, I know that Pastor Bob will always be your pastor, and that's a good thing. It's, it's one of the greatest blessings to be able to do things like this and to be able to share ministry together. And so today we're going we're gonna to bring God's word together, but I thought, why not just make this even a little bit more tearful? I want to have my son Eli come up, and I want him to read God's word to us today. So he is going to read the scripture. Eli, grab that mic and come on up. He's going to read the scripture. We're going to go through, and then we're going to work our way through it. Um, but this is my oldest son, Eli. So here you go, Eli.
1: In the Second pre- uh, Timothy four one through five, in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, in the view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge: preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with the sound of doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside my myths. Turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. (laughs) Second Timothy four, six through eight. I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, uh, the righteous Judge, will award to me on the day that not only to me but also to all who have longed for this appearance.
0: Thank you, Eli. You can put the microphone down there. They were laughing at us yesterday um, on Saturday morning, there's a group of men that pray together and um, they were saying maybe we should put a tarp down with two of us up here <laughs> that like to cry and I was thinking, no, we'll be fine. <laughs> Shows how much I know myself, but, uh, but good morning. Thank you, Eli, for doing that. Um, I'm excited to bring God's word to you today. Um, we've been talking about passing the baton and so what an awesome opportunity we have um, to to share God's word. And through this series, we've looked at, at different facets. We've been looking at, the, at 2 Timothy, um, Paul's letter in 2 Timothy um, to Timothy. And, and so over the past three weeks, we've talked about chapter one. Paul's, Paul talked about Timothy's heritage of faith, the people that have gone before him, his grandmother, his mother, the example that has been set and he says, Timothy, you have a great heritage. And then, and then the next week we talked about that fanning the flame because you've been given this great gift and this great calling. Fan it into flame. Continue to get excited. Continue to be on fire to do what God's called you to do. And so fan the flame. And then last week we looked at the end of chapter 3 and talked about the power of the gospel. And so I want to read real quick the end of that chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. To you And then I want to talk a little bit, go into chapter 4. So chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the Scripture we looked at last week. And so what this means is that God's Word has everything we need to do what God's called us to do. God's Word, is, it's God-breathed. Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness. It's, it's everything to, we need to do what we're called to do. And, and so it, it, when we teach, we teach God's Word. It talks about rebuking. That word rebuking isn't a word we use a lot, but but when we're off base, when we're living in a way we shouldn't, God's Word points out where we're missing the mark. And then it's useful for correcting us, helping us get back on path to to follow Christ, and then training in righteousness. God's Word, if you will stay in God's Word, will continue to produce righteousness for you to become like Christ. Christ. And so this text actually was not split off from the text we're going to go into here in a minute. This, this was actually part of this whole thought of the beginning of chapter 4. And so Paul says, Scripture is what you need. Scripture, it's God's Word. It's important. If you're going to be who you're called to be, if you're going to do what God calls you to do, you need to be in God's Word. And so that sets up what he's going to say next. And I'm going to kind of paint the picture for you here. And then I'm going to let Dad come up and, and talk about the charge that he gives to Timothy. But, but chapter four says, In the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom. Now I'm going to stop there and I'm going to talk about that. But these are words that maybe we would be tempted to just read through and pass over. But I want you to understand the importance of what was just said. So Paul says, Scripture is God-breathed. It's what you need to do what you've been called to do. And and then he says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom." These words, you may hear these words, um, I, I performed a wedding last night, and these are words that sometimes we say in weddings, in the presence of God, and in the presence of... And so we're talking about, you know, who is there? So, so this, this little sentence talks about the who, and then it talks about the why. And so I want to talk about the who and the why, because what Paul is doing is he's charging Timothy, he's passing that baton, and he's charging Timothy to go... Do the work that God has called them to. So he says, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus. I was thinking about this. In, In the Nazarene church, we have an ordination process. We're in July, I believe it's 16th, DS, yes, 16th. July 16th, right here in this sanctuary, we will have our district assembly service and we will have an ordination service. And what that means is is all of those people who have been studying through the program and working towards becoming ordained in the Church of the Nazarene and on our district will come and they will be ordained to go and do the work of ministry. And so I was thinking about this process in my life. The way this process works, and just so you know, is is it starts by getting what's called a local minister's license. And, And how you get that is you go to the church board of your local church, And you express that you want to be in ministry. You want to follow God's calling to do ministry. And the church board, so in the presence of the church board, I'm trying to set this picture up. In the presence of the church board, they interview you, and then they vote to give you a local license. Then once you have your local license, you have to work for a year. You have to wait for a year. And then you apply for a district license. And so we go from the church board, the local church board, to then we go to the district board, which is made up of pastors and leaders on the district. And every year thereafter, you meet with that district board and they ask you questions and they, they decide whether you're going to continue towards this path of ordination. So in the presence of the local board, and then you move up to the presence of the, the district credentials board, which is pastors and leaders, and then... If you've had your district license as long as you need to and you've fulfilled your requirements and you've done the education, then you can become ordained. That's what's going to happen here on July 16th. And so what happens then is there will be a big crowd like this, people from all over the district. And this is one of the coolest things we do in the church, I think. All of the ordained ministers in the church that are here will come up onto the platform and they will stand around you, and they will pray for you. And, and so now, so in the presence of the local church board, in the presence of the district credentials board, and, and now ordination is in the presence of the district, and then the esteemed district superintendent, and all of the pastors on the district, and even the general superintendent is there, and, and there will be an altar up here and, and the ordinance will be lined up and they will walk down and they will pray for each one. I remember my ordination, there was, there was a guy you can choose who gets to pray for you, somebody that's been influential in your life. And I remember somebody that I chose was crying all over the top of my head. I was kneeling there and I kept feeling drips. <laughs> in the presence, in the presence of the district and uh, district superintendent, and the general superintendent, and all these pastors. Think about that. All of these pastors that have given their lives to serve and to preach the word, and here you are being charged, being ordained, and they actually use this text. This is the text. This is an ordination text. And and so Paul is setting this picture, this charge, this thing. I, I was thinking about other things. You know, this is, that's probably the closest thing in my life, but, but maybe we think about, you know, being a, a, an inauguration for a president, and all the people gather, and they, they put their hand on the Bible, and, and they're charged to do the work that, that's set out for them. And so, in the presence, in the presence, think about in the presence, the people around you, man, that, that's huge. I mean, when you're in front of a local church board, that can be a little nerve-wracking, And then when you get in front of a group of pastors and district leaders and they're asking you questions, it's a little bit bigger. And then you get in front of a sanctuary full of people with a bunch of pastors who have served for years and a district superintendent and a general superintendent, and they charge you to do the work of ministry. And what Paul says here is in the presence of who? God. And our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Man, when you think about the calling or the charge, it doesn't get any bigger than this. So we might usually skip over this text and just think, oh, that's this is huge. As Paul is passing the baton to Timothy, he says, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus. So the who, the, the people behind him, God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. And then he goes to the the why, because these are other words that we hear a lot, but maybe we just skip over. Who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom. So here we are. I'm handing the baton to you. I'm charging you to preach God's word. I'm charging you to do your ministry in front of God and Christ Jesus. And why? Because there will be a judgment. See, Scripture is very clear, and Paul is clear throughout his writings, that there will be a time when Jesus comes again, and when Jesus comes again, there will be a judgment, and God's kingdom will be established. And so he says, Timothy, with God and Christ Jesus as the witnesses, in in, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead... And then he gives him his charge. I want you to understand today that what we are called to do is so important. And I think it would be easy for for some of us to think that, oh, well, that's just for pastors, that's just for preachers, and I talked about ordination, and, and Paul is in this text talking to Timothy, who will be a pastor and a preacher. But I think we would make a huge mistake in the church if we thought that the calling to reach the world the calling to love the world the calling to preach god's word was just about pastors and teachers and preachers i want you to understand today that god has called each and every one of you to preach the word Pastor Bob's going to talk about that here in just a second, about what that's all about. But I want you to get this picture. So just setting this up, think about this. In the presence of God Almighty, in the presence of God, in Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, there will be a judgment. It is important the work that you are called to do, because one day there will be a judgment. And so I'll pass it off to you now. Go ahead.
2: It's interesting that on Friday my schedule took me to a correctional institution. And so as we have Paul writing from prison, we understand that he has had already one trial that didn't go so well. He's awaiting the second trial, maybe it's the sentencing, and when he's writing these words he is believing that his death is imminent. He is wanting to say things that are so powerful that it will take those who come after him and it will cause them to do this work, to pass on this ministry of Christ, not only to young preachers, but to all people. Many of you have heard me for a long, long time, and so a couple of the things I'm going to say will not be new to you at all. But I came out of college, I was a business communications major, didn't know that I was going to be called to ministry at that point. I went to my second interview. My my dad had owned Mahaffey Maytag, so my first interview was with Maytag. And the guy that interviewed me, when it was over, he said, well, Bob, uh, we would be glad to hire you, but you're probably gonna be a pastor. So they didn't offer me a job. I went to my second interview, and it was with the Norwalk Furniture Corporation, and I remember they gave me six hours of aptitude and personality tests. And I thought, I don't have a chance after six hours of that stuff. And then I sat down next to the president, the guy that owned the company. And he said to me, Bob, what are your priorities in life? And I said, oh, that's easy. Easy. My first priority is to believe my Lord and, Jesus, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in everything I do. My second priority is to be the greatest husband and the best dad that anyone could ever be. My third priority is to be vital to my church family, for it is the body of Christ. And my fourth priority is to be a great employee. And he looked at me and he said, well, those aren't the answers we're looking for. The guys that we interview want to make a lot of money. And I said, well, that wouldn't be all bad, but that's not my priority. And I remember driving four hours home, and I got home and I said to Elaine, I didn't get the job. My priorities didn't line up with their priorities. And it's a God thing, but in less than 10 days, I had that job for the next eight years. My job never changed my priorities. That's exactly what Paul is saying to young Timothy here. He is saying, your task is to preach the word. The the words there would really be herald the word, proclaim the word. And it's not just like in a sermon, but it is the good news. I hope when you came to Jesus Christ, it was great news. I hope it made a total difference in your life that before there was sin and shame and guilt and all of those things, but all of a sudden when you invited Christ into your life, there was newness, there was purpose, there was something more than making money. Wow. The priorities of our life are to be Christ. And I I really think they are to be. Please the Lord, number one. Father's Day. Guys, are these your priorities? Please the Lord, my highest priority. Number two, be the greatest husband in the world. If I'm proud of anything that I've ever done, it's that I love my wife as much as any man ever could. I was privileged to care for her two years of dating and 44 years of marriage. And I'd love to be continuing to do that. It's the great priority of my life to please the Lord and to be a great husband. And then I hope I've been a good dad. It was probably because of Elaine that I have three great kids. (laughs) Those are my highest, those are your highest priorities. I don't care what your job is, I don't care what it is that you want to do. These are the priorities. And Paul is saying, I'm entrusting to you. Timothy, for you it's preaching the word. Christians, for you it is heralding, proclaiming the good news of Christ, the difference he makes in his life. And then he goes on and he says, um, he says, uh, be prepared be persistent. Wow. You know what it really means? Grab the opportunity. I think we get in this slide of life. We get in this path that we just kind of try to accomplish all the things in our weekly schedule. I I hope that we can kind of get a filter in there that says, everything I do in my life should be about Christ. Um, You've heard me say it, I I take my, when I cry on my clothes or on my tie, I take it over to a dry cleaner, just kind of adjacent to the church, and and it, it had been three years, and the lady said to me, how do you always have this stuff on your shoulders of your coats? And I said, well, a part of my job is hugging everybody, and she said, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor, it's the greatest job in the world. And she said, my pastor doesn't hug me. And I said, well, you go to the wrong church. It's right over there. <laughs> I was in there three months ago, and I handed it off. And I guess it was because Elaine went in first. But, so you put in 7591767, which isn't my phone number anymore. And it comes up Elaine. So she always greets me with, hi, Elaine. <laughs> and through the years, she knew of Elaine's struggle with cancer. And so about three months ago, she said, uh, Elaine, I have cancer. Would you please pray for me? Grab the opportunity. I'm praying for that lady that one day she will fully know Christ and the hope of Christ. And whether or not he heals her of her cancer, that she'll have the peace and the joy that only comes from knowing Jesus I play basketballs at Monday and Wednesday and Friday, and so I go home after that and take a shower and shave and brush my teeth and put on deodorant, just so you'll know, I do those things. And, and often in the morning, because I travel a lot, I, I go right down here to a gas station and, and I fill up with gas. And usually, I don't know if it's you, but usually it says, see inside for receipt. You know, it just doesn't print it out easy. And so I go inside and this wonderful lady, I, she says, boy, you smell good. Now, I don't very seldom get that. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm hoping that that lady that sees me when I first smell good, I'm hoping that I could maybe be Jesus to her. You see, it's, it's just kind of this all-consuming passion that people would know Christ. This is what he's talking about be instant in season, be prepared, be persistent, grab the opportunity. Number three, it, it says correct. Wow, we, we can take that negatively. We, we think sometimes, we really think it's the pastor's job to tell people what's wrong with them. It's, that's not it, the Holy Spirit convicts people. We see that in John chapter 15 and 16. It's one of the six main jobs of the Holy Spirit. Our job isn't to beat them up, Our job is to prepare the way for the Holy Spirit to correct them and rebuke them and and convict them. That's what it's talking about. It's it's not an ugly thing. The the next part of it is that we are to be encouragers of these people. Wow. Do you encourage everyone you meet? There's an older pastor, he's passed away now, H.B. London. He was James Dobson's brother-in-law. And he said, you know what bugs me more than anything in the world? Joy suckers. People that when they're around you, it just robs the joy out of your life. Are you a joy sucker? Or are you an encourager? Don't you love encouragers? People that think you're something special. And when you walk away, you feel like you are. Paul's saying, Timothy, this is what you're supposed to be. And then he said, now you've got to be patient you got to be patient. You know why? People don't change very quickly. Most of us are slow learners. And we get stuff going on in our life, and we get used to it, and we're kind of slow to change. And so Paul says to Timothy, be patient. Be patient in loving these people. And then when you look at verse 3, it says, why? Why should we do this? Why should we have this priority You know why? Because there are lots of false doctrines. Um, It says that people are turning away. Folks, I have to tell you something. People have turned away. They are deserting the truth. Scripture is not the hallmark of their faith. People are no longer Christian by nature. I don't know if they ever were. But people these days... And I'm sorry, it sounds rough. People are selfish. People want my way, their way. People believe what they want to believe. And people want what people want. And that is diabolically opposed to what God wants. Because God calls us to be like him. Sacrificing. Suffering selfless. If if you could write down those three S words, the very nature of Jesus Christ. He sacrificed for you and I. He gave his lifeblood. Wow, suffering. Did you know in Philippians one, the very letter of joy, what it is that we're supposed to be like when we're in prison? Paul writes it and he said that we are to suffer with Christ. The Christian life is not one without suffering. We are all suffering or going to suffer. Christ suffered. And thirdly, selfless. There's no room for selfishness in us if we're to be like Christ. This is Paul's claim. This is Paul's admonition. This is what Paul is calling his believers to do.
0: In verse two, he says, "I give you this charge: preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage, with great patience and careful instruction. For a time is coming, and this is, this is what Dad was just talking about. For a time is coming, or for a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and and turn aside." to miss. And so, so Paul is saying, I'm handing you this baton in the, in the presence of God because a judgment is coming. And then he warns him that I'm handing you this baton, but by the way, people aren't going to want to hear what you have to say. And so in verse 5, he says, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, and do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. And so Paul's advice, he says, I'm handing you the baton, now go and preach the word. Like like Pastor said, be ready all the time, be ready whether it's at the dry cleaner, whether it's wherever it is, be ready to share Christ with others. And then he says, others may not want to hear what you have to say. A time is coming when people are going to turn away from the gospel and they're going to just want to hear what they want to hear. And, and I, I totally agree. We are in those days right now. And so Paul's, Paul's response to that is this. But you keep your head in all situations. Keep your head. Endure hardship and do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. And so what's he saying? He's saying stay focused. Last night I was on the way to do this wedding, and, and more and more these days, the more and more times that I'm speaking outside of the church, I'm aware that a lot of the people I'm speaking to probably will not have grown up in church or will not know all the things. And so it's kind of interesting to go into a scenario, and, and I'm not saying that was last night, but it's interesting when you're going to a wedding or a place, and, and you are charged to preach the Word but you know that maybe the people don't view the Word the same way you view the Word or the way it should be viewed. And so I was talking with Megan about this on the, on the way last night, just saying, you know, it's just a, it's a weird thing. And, but, but Paul warned Timi, Timothy of this. He said there will be a day where people won't want to hear the Word. His response, his response, keep your head. You know what that means? Preach the Word anyway. You aren't called to figure it all out. You aren't called to do everything. You are called to preach the gospel, to live the gospel. I don't know how the lady at at the laundromat, or not the the dry cleaning place, is going to come to know Jesus. But I know that your calling is to live a life of faith and be Christ. Christ. I don't know how your co-workers are going to come to know Jesus. I don't know how this is all going to happen, but I know that what we are called to do is preach the word through our lives, through our words, through our actions, to be Christ to others, so keep your head. And I was thinking about this as I painted that picture earlier of who is there when he's being charged. This is the God Almighty and the importance of what he's gonna do, preach the word because a judgment is coming. I was thinking about this. It's never been up to the people that God has called to make it happen. What it's, what's up to them is to be faithful to what God has called them to be. It wasn't up to us to make everything happen. Moses didn't make the Red Sea part; God did. Joshua didn't make the walls of Jericho fall. God did. All we are called to do is be faithful and preach the word and be Christ. And so I don't know what it looks like for people's lives to be turned around. I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know how that's going to happen. What I know is this. We are called to preach the word of God, the God-breathed scripture that is useful. And I believe if we're faithful to do that, God will work. And so Paul says, keep your head. Don't forget why you do what you do. This is important. Don't forget why. You do what you do. Why? You are Christ to others. And don't forget who is behind you. Don't forget that God is with you. And it's God's power that's going to transform the people around you.
2: Well, this is a big change when we get to verses 6 and following. And I'm only handling 6 and 7, so this shouldn't take too long. But uh, what happens here is Paul has a drastic change he has been saying, Timothy, you, preach the word, you, you do this. This is God's call to you. And now at verse 6, he begins saying, I. You see, this is like his eulogy. I think he's sitting in that prison cell waiting for the sentence of death. I think he knows that his life is soon to end. This is his final word. This is what is coming out of his heart more than anything else. And so he looks at young Timothy, or he looks at us, and uh, he says, I am being poured out like a drink offering. That is a Greco-Roman Roman military athletic word. It's kind of a boxing thing. It, it's, it's kind of a racing thing. It's, it's a training. I have trained for this race. There is nothing in this statement that says, I'm the winner. There is nothing that boasts of how great Paul is. But he simply says, I have trained, I have prepared, and I have done this. And so what he is saying is, I'm being poured out. The picture would be in the Roman Colosseum of of a Christian who maybe is wrapped in an animal skin and about to be served to a hungry lion. It was an attitude of not poor me or I'm a loser, but I willingly give my lifeblood in the service of Christ. I'm a Christian suffering for the world. The second would, would be that of the one who is is just coming to the end of the rope and, and, and saying, God, here I am. I'm yours. In biblical lands, you'll travel across the Holy Land and you'll come to a place where you will see about four feet high and maybe six by six or twelve by twelve, just a round place of rocks stacked on one another. And maybe at first you don't know what it is, but then someone tells you, that's an altar. And just these piles of rocks that are flattened out on the top. And Christians would come to the altar and say, I understand that because of my faith in my Lord, I will be giving my lifeblood on this altar. I will lay myself on this altar. I will be suffering with Christ, crucified with Christ, that others may know him. So then it's kind of appropriate that the old guy gets this one. He says, I have fought the fight, I have finished the race, I've kept the faith. Folks, this is not only a sermon for our younger people who are here to be called and to follow the call and set your priorities when you're young. This is for every one of us. This is for every one of us to say, I am not going to quit. It's been quite a few years now, but a, a guy that had served on our staff in another church ended his life prematurely. It was a shock to all of us. It was really hard to travel to that funeral and do his funeral. And I'll never forget soon after that Robert came to me and he said, Dad, finish well. Those are words I'll never forget. I cannot become embittered by the tough parts of life. I cannot stop living because the lady that I love most is gone. I cannot be hurt by things that have happened in the church. God's calling us. Finish the race. Fight the fight. Keep the faith. It doesn't matter what our age is. This is the proclamation that Paul gives us. Finish well. Do it. It's not how good were you, it's not what job do you have, it's not how much money's in the bank, it's not how big is your house or what is your car like. It is I have kept the faith. I'm faithful to the moment that I see my Jesus face to face. Wow. The priorities. Please God. Be a great husband and father. Honor the church, the body of Christ, and do your job the best that you can. But I have three other priorities that this talks about. Number one, the baseline, the foundation for our living is Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed. Scripture is number one. Number two, convictions. We all have convictions. Maybe it isn't that scripture says it exactly, but it's derived from scripture. Maybe there are things we have learned from our faith upbringing, but the things that are convictions to me, I honor with my life. And then thirdly, preference. What would you like? Where do you want to eat? What color car do you drive? That's not first, that's third. First is holy scripture. Finish the race, fight the fight. Keep the faith.
0: In verse 8, and he says, Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And then this last part. And not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So what I want to do is back up and I want to walk through this scripture again. He says, all scripture is God-breathed. Scripture is what you need to do what you're called to do. And then he says, I charge you in the presence of God because there will be a judgment. I charge you to preach the word, be ready all the time, live a life of Christ-likeness for others. And then he says, people may not want to hear what you have to say, but keep your head and continue, endure hardships, continue. And he walks into this last part, for I am being poured out, for I have, have I've run the race. And then in verse 8, he says, now... There is in store for me a crown of righteousness. So Paul is handing the baton to Timothy. He's telling him it won't be easy, but he's telling him he has everything he needs to do it. And he says, endure, run the race. I know because I've done it. And now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which God is going to give me. But this last line is so important. And not only for me, but also for all who have longed, for His appearing. I want you to hear what that's saying real quick. What that's saying is this charge to preach the Word, this charge in the presence of God to go and be Christ-like. If you think about ordination and kneeling in an altar and them charging you to go preach, and I think about that altar, and I think about the fact that what I was called to do is not just to, not just to preach and not just to... I'm called to to help herald the good news of Christ, which will change the lives of others, to be a part of the work that God is doing in others' lives. And when he says there's a judgment coming, the, the good news is this. We are called to make a difference in the lives of those around us in view of the coming judgment. And so Paul says, I've run my race. I'm receiving the crown, but it's not just for me. It's for anyone who will believe and long for Jesus. And so why do we preach the word? Why do we live Christ-like for others? Because we want them to receive a crown as well. We don't want to finish the race alone. We want to finish it with everyone we possibly can, whether it's from the dry cleaner or whether it's from somewhere else. Here's another one. I may have told you this story. But the night before Mother's Day this year, it's a hard day. I went to Walmart. Um, I I always go to Walmart at 1 a.m. on the night before big holidays where I'm supposed to buy things for people. And I walked into Walmart the night before Mother's Day. And it was funny, like every 25 year old in Westchester was in there buying flowers for their mother. And I bought flowers for Megan and I, I got to the register. And, and there was an older lady, I'm sorry if I told you this, I always said I wasn't gonna be the guy that repeated my stories, but here I am. But, but I, this lady that was, was, was checking out there said, what's going on? Why are all these people in here? And I said, well, it's, it's Mother's Day tomorrow. And she said, oh, well, that's not really a thing for me. She said, that's not a big deal to me. And I said, oh, okay. And, and I bought my stuff and I walked out I couldn't help but think of the blessing that I had for so many years to have a Christ-like mother. And I would have loved to have been buying flowers for my mother. But as I thought about it, I thought, oh, what an opportunity I have to minister to this lady that's there. And unfortunately, I was already home and it's 1.30 in the morning by now. But I want you to know that if I go back to that Walmart every time I walk in, do you know who I'm looking for? I'm looking for her because I want to preach the word through my lifestyle. I want to be Christ to her because I want her to receive the crown of righteousness. And so why do we preach the word? Why do we live Christ-like? Why do we love others? Because it's our job to spread the hope of Christ to as many people as possible, because one day there will be a judgment. And it's God's will that as many as possible will come to know him so that the kingdom of God will be full of the people around us. You know people, you work with people, you walk by people every day, you go to dry cleaners, you go to Walmart, and you have the opportunity to be Christ to others. And so I want to charge you today In the presence of God, in the presence of everyone else here, in view of the coming judgment, I want to charge you to preach the word, use the gifts that God has given you to share Christ with others. The band is going to come, and we're going to sing a last song called "Take My Life." And I want to ask you, just in this, as we're singing this song, I want to ask you to offer yourself to God to take that baton and to offer yourself and to say, Lord, I want to preach your word through my life. And so I want you to pray, I want you to sing, I want you to do whatever it is, but, but as you sing, take my life, I want you to think about being poured out as an offering I want you to think about what God has given you. I want want you to think about the gifts. I want you to think about the people that you have the opportunity to see every day. And I want you to say, Lord, take my life. Let me be poured out like an offering and work and do your work through me. Let's stand together and sing.